Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Morning, good morning. Oh, that's good and loud. It'll wake you up if you're sleeping. Hey, how many of you, other than, okay, if you're in the Sunday school class this morning, you can't answer. But how many of the rest of you have read this text already yet today? Okay, good, good, fair number. It's an interesting text, can be very confusing. So we're going to try to think through it today. Um, I, sometimes I'll say this when we're reading it ignore the subheadings. Those aren't in the original. I'm, I've got a little different take on it than that way. But I want to start thinking this morning about obstacles. So I don't know what kind of obstacles you have in your life. Sometimes obstacles are unseen. Um, we, we have had, is privilege the right word? The wonderful privilege, I was going to say, would this be a lie? The wonderful opportunity. It's a privilege. My, my grandkids moved in our house five weeks ago and um, they are a blast. They are nonstop energy. So it's, let's see, Leo just turned eight Friday, all the way up to 15. Uh, there's four of them, mom and dad too. They're remodeling their kitchen. I think I told you this once before. Yeah, it's, it was a two week. Can we stay for two weeks? I'm like, two, nobody gets a kitchen in two weeks. So to Cindy, if we say yes to this, you know it's two months at least. And uh, we got to be good with it. So we're good with it. But there's some obstacles that appeared in my life that I wasn't aware. So I have kind of a routine, you know. It's a certain point in the night when it's dark that I go use that other little room, and i walking out. And, but along the way, I found some obstacles. I should say, uh, I wear contacts. It's dark. I don't see. I'm just walking the path that I know that's there. And there are certain toys that inevitably get left out, and it's not stuffed animal toys. It's like cars and blo- things that you step on that hurt. So I'm walking along, there's obstacles, and it hurts. Unseen obstacles. Um, so there's all kinds of them that we have. It, for you, it might be, anybody driving to Chicago very often? I'm so glad we moved to Southwest Michigan. I hate driving in. And, it, and we have to do that this afternoon, and it'll be crazy. But when you drive, I don't, there's, a, there's a couple of big numbers on this square sign. Nobody pays attention to those big numbers, 55. It's like, I'm telling you, the guy's going by 80. And so there's things just coming at you all different directions. All the, sorry, it's, they're bad in Chicago. They're much better in Michigan. I, I know that. Um, but you have to watch from all things. It's obstacles all around. And, oh, I just, you know, and when I get off the plane coming home, I got one thing in mind. I want to get home and everything's an obstacle in my way. Or maybe you're one of those people trying to get out of debt. And uh, you have a vintage car. Everyone else calls it a piece of junk. But it's a vintage car. And... <laughs> You keep putting money in it to restore it. And everyone's going, it is an obstacle to your financial freedom. There's, there's all kinds of obstacles we have, right? And some of them are unseen. Some of them seem to be reasonable. We all have obstacles. Some of them are serious. Some of them aren't. And today, as we walk into this story that Matthew's included for a particular reason, I think, at, at this stage in, in uh, Jesus' ministry, we have two men who evidently say they want to follow Jesus but there's some obstacles and I don't think they see them and Jesus does. And I just want to say this. He's for all of us. It's like this. He sees the things that we don't see. I think Lori, that as we were talking about, what's the point of this passage? And I think 
Lori raised the word this morning in the Sunday school. Maybe it's a testing. And it, and it might be, but I'll say this. If Jesus is testing you, it's not mean. <laughs> it's to show us things that we couldn't see on our own. And here's what's always true about following him. Following Jesus always involves giving up things that you cling to for security, especially if it's other than him. Sometimes they're not bad things, but we tend to cling to them. And I think in this particular story of these guys, it actually unfolds in a way that makes sense from all the Sermon on the Mount that we've already seen. So what I want to do for just a moment, let's go back and remember a little bit where Matthew's brought us, okay? So in Matthew chapter 4, it's right after the temptation, as Jesus is coming out, we do see this one part where the crowds are following him. Uh, he calls the four fishermen, you know, they, they leave everything, but, but we get this, he's healing, the crowds are following, it's at that point that he goes up on the mountain and he preaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters, it, it's extensive, but there's some reason where Matthew puts the crowds are following and he goes up on the mountain and preaches this, this sermon, which I think is a gateway really to the, the whole book. Then when it finishes here in chapter eight, it says, I'm going to read verse one of chapter eight. When he came down from the mountain, great, great crowds followed him. It's crowds that are following. Two themes he's got put out here. And then how many of you heard Joe preach last week? Man, I love our youth pastor. He just, he brings the word so well. He, he preached out of these three healings. And the very first one is this leper. And Jesus, in his healing, he touches the leper, which Mosaic law would forbid and say you would unclean. Jesus is purposeful in everything he does, every detail. He touches him and heals him. Later on, there's a, there's a centurion who's non-Jewish. He's the occupying force. He's a, he's a commander of a hundred and he's the one who has a servant who's sick, so he must be compassionate for him. He asked Jesus to heal him. Jesus, okay, I'll go. And the centurion says, no, don't go. I get authority. I have men under my authority. You say a word and he'll be healed. And Jesus marvels that there's that kind of faith from a non-Jewish person, not raised around the scripture. God had clearly called this guy. And I think in Matthew, there's this little bit of tell of the non-Jewish people. We get to the great commission in the end. This, this Messiah... He came to the Jews for the world. It's for us. We're the, most of us, I think, are non-Jewish here. And so here's this, this centurion. Jesus, Jesus says a word. Servants healed. And then he goes to, to Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. It's an interesting family story. We don't know much about her. She's not named as a person, but she's got a fever. Jesus heals her and she gets up and serves everybody. And the house is filled with people. And Matthew ends that whole thing in verse 17, saying this. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our diseases and bore our, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He's quoting from Matthew 50, from Isaiah 53. And all the while what Jesus is unveiling is what he came to do came to give his life for us, which in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating that. But he heals with compassion. And Matthew, when he puts this together, said, this is just like it was prophesied, just like Isaiah prophesied. This is who he is. So we noticed again in our text as we, we read it. Thad, come on up, up here. Thad's going to read it in just a moment. You'll notice in the right in the beginning that there's great crowds following him, but what Jesus does again 
is he withdraws. And we have two guys that come up and they, they talk about following him. And Jesus gives a very confusing response to them. And here's what I want to say. Jesus is clarifying to us what it means to be a genuine follower. So it's only four or five verses. But again, I'd suggest to you one of the main ideas here is following Jesus always involves giving up things that you cling to for security. Let's stand, if you will. So we give attention to God's word, and Thad's going to read these verses for us, and then I'll pray. Yep. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nets. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Thank you. Let's pray as we stand. Father, again, sometimes we don't know why, why a particular passage is here. We don't know why we're hearing it today. And I just ask this, again, because you know everyone. Speak to us as we need to hear. Speak to us as we need to hear. And give us the courage to follow you, as would be good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. All right, so let's kind of walk through this just a bit. <clears throat> I don't, I don't want to be too hard on these guys. Um, the first guy, you know, he, he comes up and he has this question. But I, I'm going to keep that, that theme out there about following Jesus always involves giving up things you cling to for security. So we, we, the way a story is told, there's a setting given. And that first verse says it this way. The crowds are gathering around him and Jesus is about to withdraw. It says, now, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. Other side of what? So later on we read it, Sea of Galilee, he's going. So crowds coming. Hey guys. We're going to the other side. It's, it's at that moment that this guy comes up to him. So what it appears as the crowds gather, that Jesus is resisting gaining a popular following. We think about it, that was never his goal. It was never his intention. I, it might have been one of Judas's problems, actually. You, Judas, who was keeping the money. Judas, who, you know, he, he's got other reasons for following Jesus. And we, we'll see what happens in the end. Um, some think that he betrays Jesus so he can expose Jesus and Jesus will have to finally come out and, and, and declare and who he is. We don't know why. But there's plenty of people who followed him for different reasons. His goal was never to gain a popular following. What was his goal? It's to give his life. It's to do exactly what the father called him to do. And it's given up himself. When I think just about that, in this very first verse we read, crowds are gathering. Why do you withdraw? Why do you go to the other side? It's not what everybody else thinks in conventional wisdom. And then I think about us and how we measure success. Why, why do we measure success in those kind of terms? It's about how many people follow. It's about how many likes we get. It's, about, it's, it's something with, over here. Why do we measure success that way? Even if we say we don't, we feel that way. We think that way. Why? What does that say about us? Man, I want to follow Jesus, but sometimes it's so hard. I want to be like that, 
but there's so much of me that isn't. So I'm continually asking him, especially when I'm traveling, I'm continually asking him to change things in me. It's difficult things that, that end up exposing what's actually going inside me. What's the goal? It's obedience to the Father's will. That's it. What he says. And then do it. It's very hard many times. You can't do it without him. That's the point. So I, this, is, this whole thing about church and religion or whatever, and where people get it confused, they think, they think I, I go to church, or we have this thing about if I do good, then God will treat me good. And it's somehow in our default, it just isn't true. What's, what's actually more true is, I need him. For every single part of my life, I need him. Even simple things. Do you, ever, do you ever wonder, why do I get upset about this thing? Why do I get mad at the people I love? Why is it like that? Why do those? Because there's these things inside us that he wants to change. I, so when I pray, I, I pray for courage to follow him because I think it takes that. But you know what? He loves to give that. He, he really does. It's in the very part of our need, I would say, that's the opportunity we have. The three people that were healed were all desperate. Desperation's not a bad thing. It's where we go with it. Jesus, more than anything, he wants us to know himself. And as Matthew lays this out, he wants us to see Jesus as he is. The popular following is not what Jesus is after. It's obedience to the Father's will. It's given his life. So before he can cut across the lake, he gets, he gets interrupted by these two men. And it appears that because Jesus has announced that he is leaving, now they come up and make this request. Notice they're the ones that initiate this. And in some way, it seems that by their words, they want to follow Jesus, but do they really? And so when you read this scene we're remembering the end of chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, many will say to me on that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we heal people in your name? Didn't we do de- uh, cast out demons in your name? Describing things that they did in Jesus' name. That is, they love Jesus. They actually think they're doing things for Jesus. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. We read that one at the end of the sermon. And we just go like, it, it, it stuns us. And I think what Matthew's clarifying here is something of what a true follower here is. So these guys come up to him at this particular point. He identifies them differently. One he identifies as a scribe. The other one he says is a disciple. And he uses that term pretty broadly. So he's probably not one of the 12. We know later Jesus sends out 70. But he's somewhere of, of the crowd that's identifying as a disciple. Let's look at the first guy. I'm just going to call him man number one and man number two. <clears throat> man one. I think what Jesus is getting at here is giving up the security of of home and reputation. He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. What's wrong with that? (laughs) What's wrong with that declaration? I I don't know if I'd be that bold bold to say it. He says it. We we remember um, Peter in the garden. We'll be reading this, you know, in another week or so. Peter's in the garden. Jesus tells them, you know, you guys are all going to deny me. And Peter stands up, I won't deny you, even if they all deny you. You know, notice he separates himself from the other guys. I'll follow you. And Peter says, even to death. Hours later. It's not a day, it's not weeks, not months. Hours later, little servant girl comes up. He denies him. And we can be really hard on Peter. But I'm, I'm pretty much that fickle. 
I want to say courageous things. I'm a big chicken. So I wouldn't be too hard on this guy. What he says, he thinks he means, but you, you can only know what you know. He doesn't know his own heart. I just wouldn't be too hard on him. Here's Jesus' response. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus doesn't tell him no. Jesus gives him a reality check. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm, I'm in, Jesus. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus just tells him the truth. That's all he does. You, you think glory's coming. Crowd's following. Got some healings going on. Lots of people around that mountain while he preaches. You think there's a mighty kingdom about to come in and overthrow Rome. You're thinking of power and prestige. So you want to declare your allegiance early so you can get in on the ground floor. That's not what I'm coming to do. I have no home here on earth. I'll pour out my life in every way. And you want to follow me? See, here's the thing about Jesus. He knows every person's heart. He pinpoints the obstacles, and he'll do that for us. People want to follow Jesus for all kinds of reasons. I want my life to be better. But are they really following him? Or do they want something else? Straight up. I like comfort. I like it easy. <laughs> I'd choose that path every day if I got to choose that path. And the Lord doesn't let us a lot of times, does he? But listen, when we follow him, he will never leave us alone. I mean, he'll never leave us alone. Actually, I can't tell you what country I'm going to, but we'll be, uh, we're going to be in this crazy place and we're actually going through 2 Timothy. I remember I was with some guys in November and we're going to be at different guys here uh, next week. But the end of 2 Timothy ends this way. It, it's the very last thing Paul writes. It's his last written words. And he's talking about the different people that deserted him. He's in prison. And he says, this person left, this person left, this person failed. Look out for this guy. He'll get you. He says, everyone left me, but the Lord stood by me. And the Lord, he rescued me. He'll rescue, he will bring me safely home. So when Paul speaks of that, he's not saying, he's confident in the Lord. He might die, but he's, the Lord is with me and he may, he'll bring me safely home. He knows that. And I, one of the guys last time said, you don't know this. He was actually our host. He said, I, was, I came in here. I just lost my mom three weeks ago. I lost my brother uh, about four months ago. I've been so discouraged in the ministry, I was ready to quit. And he said, you kept seeing me walk out of the building. You thought I was checking on security because they're always watching who's, who's coming. He says, every time I walked out, I'm just crying. The Lord met me here. I'm, I'm staying in this. The Lord met me in this book. I don't know what your things are. But I know this, I would choose the easy path. It's not what he's saying. But he's saying, I will go with you. I will lead you. Take my yoke upon you. Because my burden is easy. It's light when you're hooked up to me. So he just, he didn't tell this guy not to. It's just a reality check. And he's pinpointing, I think, this guy is seeing what's going on. He wants to get on the ground floor. And Jesus says, I don't have that security at home. I don't have it. So clarifying the cost. What does it mean when Jesus says 
The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. We talked about this a long time at the 10 o'clock hour. I think there's two things. I do think primarily, I think Lance, you said this. I think primarily it's the security of home. I have no permanent home. But I do think there's another thing that's probably likely the security of reputation. And, and, and in the later chapters, uh, Jesus is making this explicitly clear throughout the end of chapter eight, chapter 10, a couple of times that they will experience rejection. But I would say it this way. You could some, put both of them together. This. He's saying this world is not my home. It isn't. These other things for security, they just, they just aren't. So here's a question I ask. Do I really want to risk such things? Do I want to risk that? So think of reputation that others might, they might ridicule me. Do I want to risk that? Am I okay risking my reputation? I mean, someone says, you you really believe that stuff? (laughs) I, you know, we get characterized on all kinds of things. I knew you were one of those right wing, whatever. I don't know how you pick right or left. You know, I get kids that are both actually, um, followers of Christ, politically, they fall out on different things. That's, that's not the badge I'm wearing, but people will put you in a, in a particular camp. You, so you really think there's future judgment? You think this is right? This or, you think there's heaven and hell? You think whatever it'll be. How, how could a God who's a God of love do whatever you want to say? I don't, I end up trying not to, I don't feel like I got to defend God much. I just want to read this word and follow it. And when I'm responding to people, I just, I'll go back and say, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. I don't feel like I got to defend him. It's not, that's not my job. I'd say it's above my pay grade. But if I can just bring that, I pray God awaken people. Actually, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes the people that fight the hardest are the one God's working on the most. But am I willing? Am I willing, am I following to risk reputation? Again, Jesus doesn't say no. He just gives him a reality check. Second guy. I'm calling this one giving up the security of an inheritance. So again, he's identified as a discipler. That's a follower. But it's, he's, he's outside the 12, bigger than that. Um, and evidently, this man is considering the call to follow Jesus with his life. But he has an obstacle. Let me read verses 21 and 22 again. He says... Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That seems heartless at first glance, doesn't it? Like what in the world is he saying? So we talk about this quite a while. I capitalized the word first for a reason. Those of you who are in the class know that. Let, let's look at what, what's going on here. In the, in the ancient Middle East, when a person died... They were buried very soon. I mean, it would, it would be that day or the next day likely um, because there's no ways of preserving the body. That body's going to begin to rot and smell very soon. So funerals were conducted very soon after death. Still that way in the Middle East, still that way in Central Asia. So it seems that this man's father had not yet died. I mean, if he had, he probably wouldn't be there with Jesus. He'd be, he'd be taking care of things right then. In fact, we don't even know if he's sick. If he was sick, wouldn't it be likely that, you know, Jesus just healed all these guys? He'd bring the guy there. So it doesn't tell us these things, but in light of all that's taken place, it's likely his father's not sick. He's not near death. 
But what he actually wants is to settle the estate of his father after his death. So what he's really saying is, after my father dies and I receive the inheritance, I'm ready to follow you. In other words, let me get my future security resolved, then I'm ready to follow you. And I'll come back to it, but I think the word first is a good tell for us in the text. Thus, we have Jesus' response. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. That sounds weird, but wait a minute. How can dead people bury dead people? How can that be? So Jesus often speaks in metaphors. I think it's more likely what he, let those who are spiritually dead bury the dead. Let it be that way. I think Jesus is pinpointing some things in all these guys' lives. So my understanding would be this. There is no life in finding your security in money. That's the dead. Remember what he said in Matthew 6 about treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moth and rust destroy. Let it be in heaven. I think it's the same kind of division that Jesus is drawing right here. If you're looking to follow me, you'll have to leave that security behind. Okay? Let's turn the corner and think about us. How do we think about these things? The way I look at this, this is really giving up other securities. Um, what's interesting, the things that cling to me or that I cling to, they're not like evil things of themselves. They're not bad things. Actually, many they're things that God has given that I can cling to and attach to. And I think that's what Jesus is highlighting here. Matthew 6 gets to that. What is it that I'm treasuring how do these things confront me? So this is, I'm not going to say that I do this right, but I, I was thinking about this text a lot of times. And Lori, I think it's that word testing. How many times the Lord has tested in my life? Things that I wanted to cling to. For security. Came here a long time ago as a youth pastor. Loved being youth pastor here. Um, I remember we were on a missions trip in, uh, in Mexico at an orphanage in a church. It was Easter Sunday. And I, I felt like, man, I just, I love what I was doing. Uh, there's people coming to Christ, all these different youth around. And I remember sitting, we had four kids at that time, four of them between us, Cindy's down here, and as the Mexican pastor preaching, and I, this is very few times this happened in my life. And I don't even remember what the sermon was, but I felt like we were called to go. In that case, they had to work in Romania. This was not that long. It was like the mid-90s. And I just remember that call to go, and I didn't want to go. I love what I was doing. I had a couple things I asked the Lord to test it. I won't go into the whole story, but I remember that one. I had to let go of things that I loved. I remember times when um, we, we are uh, beginning of life and ministry. We had, uh, we had enough resources, but it's pretty meager. And so we're saving to, you know, we're going to replace this car at a certain point. We got this little bit put away. That's not bad, right? You should save to do that. Save it away. And uh, there was a need. I remember we were, uh, this church in Romania was planting another church. And uh, so our church was doing this offering. You know, it was going to be a, a sacrificial offering. Everybody's praying. You know what? I, I really, man, this happened a bunch of times in my life. You should not ask God about things if you don't want an answer. Because 
Sometimes he'll say, I remember this in college, I was asking about what kind of a speech to give, and it was like, no, I don't want to give that one. Just, so don't ask him if you don't want an answer. So I remember we were praying about it, and like, we had this money saved for a car. You were going to like it. God said, okay. And we did. Is that bad? Is it good? I mean, was, was that security? I just remember it happening. There are lots of times in our life. I remember um, the move down here. We, uh, we've been doing the outdoor service down, we were down at Nancy's at that point doing Lakeview and we had people coming and there was, um, people were asking, would you, would this ever become a year round thing? And so I remember our elders were praying and we had decided, and Chuck, I think you were probably on the eldership back then and just like, what well, I thought it was going to be one of the younger guys on staff that should, should be down here and do it. And we had some some things that, I mean, one of the, it wasn't going to be one of the younger guys. I just remember, I remember I was in, in my basement. It was some morning. I couldn't sleep. It was early, still dark outside, reading scripture and praying. And that was when I knew the Lord said, it's going to be you guys. You're going to get up and move. And move down here. I like my house in Sawyer. We had, I think we had four guys living with us at that time. Two kids still in the house. Four men moved out. And I remember, actually, it was the same, uh, it was the same year that uh, Noel was moving to Chicago and Caleb got married. I remember, <clears throat> oh, and Caleb was, my oldest boy was my youngest son's coach. And I remember saying, I remember sitting at the dining room table and saying, we're not moving to Romania, we're just going to New Buffalo, you know? But what happened, we, we found this little teeny house down here. It was great, it was awesome. But it's 850 square feet and there's four of us. What do you think my big family, where they're going to go? You know, they just... Could, so what happened in going down here is only 10 miles, but we knew if we're coming here, you got to be here. Now remember all the conversations with the superintendent and all that stuff. I'm not trying to, I'm not saying we did any of it right. I just remember when you ask God about things, don't ask him if you don't want an answer. I've never regretted any decision in following him. I remember hard ones. I also remember he never left us alone. I remember things that he did in us through the challenges that would never have happened otherwise. Ways my kids grew. My, my kids entering into that decision, New Buffalo, they, they were part of a different school system. They'd grown up as gym rats, you know, watching their older siblings compete against the mighty bison. They were the enemy, you know? You can't, and, and for Elisha, it's a huge deal. He's on the youth trip, and I remember him praying and asking God. He said, I've always reasoned this out, pros and cons, pros and cons. Anybody else do that? I do pros and cons with God all the time. He doesn't care. It's not that's bad. But all my pros and cons list, that wasn't ultimate. If you do pros and cons, I'm not sure you're following Jesus. It's like, I, that's how I'm wired. I do that. I remember Elisha did that. And he said, I never asked God. I didn't tell him to do this. He was just on a youth trip and he did. And that's what he, he changed schools. I didn't tell him he had to. It was good. Uh, God did things in his life in that following of him that dad can't orchestrate that can't happen. All I'm saying, I'm trying to just illustrate it, bring it home. We all have different obstacles. We don't see them. And here are these guys, when they come and ask, they, I, I don't think any of them are bad guys. I don't fault them anything that they said. I'll go with you anywhere. I want to say that. I actually don't have that much courage to say that. That's what they're saying. And I think Jesus is pinpointing the obstacles. And I just don't think we see him very well. 
Am I okay if some of those things I'm clinging to, those securities get taken away and all I have left is Jesus? I think about that every time I travel. I have to. We, we need to. So here's my question, and you can't answer this yet. What are my obstacles in following Jesus fully? I don't get to answer that for you. I'm gonna, that's the question I'm just going to encourage you to go and ask the Lord, read through this text later in the week when it's quiet, whatever that is. If Sunday afternoon is good for you to do it, Monday, whenever it is, just ask him that. But when you go out through this wider lens of the whole story, what you have in Matthew 4, remember when Jesus goes up and he calls these four fishermen? He calls them and what do they do? It says, immediately they left their nets and their boat. Dad still, they left it and they followed him. Then in Matthew 9, we haven't got there yet. He's going to get to Matthew, tax collector. He's, he's right there at the table. He's getting money from people. Jesus calls him and what's he do? Leaves and follows him. He leaves money on the table. Those two stories are before and after this one. I think Matthew's put this one in here for a reason. It doesn't tell us what they do. It just tells us that Jesus is identifying some obstacles here. So again, let me say it this way. Following Jesus always involves giving up things that you cling to for security. He wants to be the very center of our world. I would draw this in again from Matthew 6. So remember I said, the one guy says, hey, first let me go bury my dad and all that. I think that word first is a tell and goes right back to, to Matthew 6. Remember what he's talking about, don't be anxious about anything. Three times he says it. You don't have to be anxious about anything. Remember the birds? Anybody remember this part about the birds? I won't call on you. Remember the birds? Anybody heard birds and remember this? Jesus says it. When you hear the birds singing, they're singing in spring. You hear them? They're reminding you that your father cares for you. Every time you hear them. The wildflowers, you don't have, God makes them beautiful in their dress. You don't have to worry about it. And then he says, Matthew 6, seek, what's the word? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things will be added to you. I think see, there's a juxtaposition here. First, let me, let me go bury my dad. <laughs> let, me, let me take care of that one first. It's the word first. No, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's the first part. And I don't know how to get there. Except I'd say this. Let Jesus take you there in whatever it is in your life. He knows what's going on. He knows what you're clinging to or what are the obstacles. We don't even, we don't even see him. Most of us are comfortable adding Jesus to our life, but what would it be like to actually put him there first? So again, I'll leave it this way. The question, I think, to go back and ask this week with the Lord and the scripture is, Lord, what are my obstacles to following Jesus fully? Just ask him if you care to hear an answer. Because I think he'll give it to you. Let me just say this. Oh, we sang it. First song, I think. He's kind. He's good. He loves you. He's not mean. He's not mean to these guys. Biggest thing in life. 
is knowing him. And we know him in the following. We know him in, we call it sometimes faith-filled obedience. It takes faith to follow. That's what he wants for us. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for your word. It often has come into our lives in ways we didn't expect. And I thank you that you know how to do that best. Again, I thank you for each person listening online or here present. I thank you that you're one who speaks. We want to follow. So Lord, help us in that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.